You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome to New York. This is, is the Devil's Devil State, State of Mind, of Mind podcast, podcast, brought to you brought by to the, you hockey the Hockey Podcast, podcast Network. Network. Now here's now your here's host, host, Neil Villapiano! Woo! What is going on, Devils fans? It is once again your host, Neil Villapiano, and welcome to another edition of the Devil's State of Mind podcast right here on the Hockey Podcast Network, the best place to get everything you need to know about your new Jersey Devils. This episode, like all of them, are sponsored by the awesome people at DraftKings Sportsbook. Make sure to use our promo code when you sign up, THPN. I hope you guys are having a fantastic day as always, wherever you're listening to this podcast episode. Thank you guys as always for taking some time out of your day to check these episodes out. I greatly, greatly appreciate it. I'm recording this part of the episode just a couple minutes after the Devils game against the Philadelphia Flyers here on Wednesday night as the Devils came away with a 3-0 victory in their first appearance in the black alternate jerseys. Um, So we'll have a little bit to talk about that. We're going to recap, obviously, you know, the frustrating uh, game against the Ottawa Senators back on Monday. And then we have a very special interview, which if you've seen by the title of this episode already, you already know who we're interviewing. But we have a very special guest joining us here on this edition of the Devil's State of Mind podcast. First time in a while that we've had a guest that I was super excited to have him on. And it was a great time, as it always is here. So we have a bunch to get to here today. So let's not waste any more time and get rolling. So we're going to start with the Devils game back on Monday against the Ottawa Senators. This game was at home. This was the game that uh, was originally supposed to be played back on November. I think it was like November 18th, a little more than a month ago, a little bit, I think, less than a month ago. Um, And the game was postponed because at the time, the Ottawa Senators were dealing with a COVID outbreak. So the game had to be postponed. It got moved to December 8th on Monday, or excuse me, December 6th on Monday. And that's when this game 
was going to be played first time in almost three years. Like a lot of teams, you could say um, uh, that the Devils have seen the Ottawa Senators. And obviously, when you look at both of these teams, both of these teams are relatively in the same type of positions. You know, they're rebuilding. You know, they're up-and-coming teams with a lot of young talent. And the Ottawa Senators, even though they've gotten off to a very, very slow start to this year, considering the fact going into this game, they had just, I believe they had just like five wins, I want to say. I think it was five or six. Uh, they had five or six wins going into this game. Um, so, obviously, they were getting off to a pretty difficult start, but they were coming in on a two-game winning streak, having also just beaten the Colorado Avalanche, surprisingly, 6-5 to five, uh, in overtime. So they were coming in definitely on a high. The Devils coming in after those two debacle of the games against Minnesota and Winnipeg, like I talked about in the last episode. Um, so obviously this was going to be the first of a three-game homestand, the first of four games being played this week with three of those four games against teams that have really struggled this season. And it was an opportunity for the Devils to get off on the right foot, get back in the win column and get themselves going here um, and just basically, you know, get back on track. And honestly, the Devils got off to a fantastic start. You look at it 35 seconds in, Damon Severson scores from the point and it's one nothing Devils. So right then and there, you felt confident that, okay, the Devils are going to control this game. They're going to be fine. They're going to end up winning this game. It's, it's not going to be a problem. But after that, it definitely felt like the Devils either just were playing back and not really giving in 100%, or Ottawa was doing some things that was confusing the Devils and their system that Lindy Ruff implements. And as a result, it led to some problems. And there were a lot of opportunities for Ottawa to score, and they eventually did score 7-15 into the second period. Drake Batherson, a guy who's been really, really heating up for the Ottawa Senators, scoring his eighth goal from the slot. He was basically wide open on that shot, and he tied the game up at one. But fortunately for the Devils, that tie did not last long, as about a minute five later, Nate Bastion scored his third goal of the season, second um with the Devils, since his first one was with Seattle when he was with the Kraken, he scored, which made it two to one. And then, unfortunately, the Devils, once again, it was a situation where Dougie Hamilton tried to clear the puck out of the zone. Brad kind of whacked, knocked it down, but it kept the puck in the offensive zone for Ottawa. They kept it in and eventually got to behind the net. And then a good pass in front by, I believe it was Batherson, made a nice pass in front to Brady Kachuk, who was wide open in the slot. And he was able to poke it past Blackwood to tie the game up at two. So you go into the third period, tied at two, two goals apiece. Uh, the Devils hit the post, I think, two or three times in this game. Um, the goaltender for the Ottawa Senators, if I can remember like his name, because he was absolutely phenomenal in this one. Um, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. I'm also trying to look it up as well to see if I can get, you know, um, Anton Forsberg. Yeah, Anton Forsberg was in net who had a below 900 save percentage and a pretty high goals against average was playing absolutely out of his mind in this game, making save after save and really frustrating uh, fans and the devils alike. Um, so this game ended up having to go to overtime. Um, the Devils had one or two good opportunities, but for the most part, neither team really was doing anything. And so the game, unfortunately, had to go to a shootout. And in the first round, uh, Stutzla and Tatar traded goals. So that was 
one to one. Then Josh Norris scored on the second shot for Ottawa, right through the legs of Mackenzie Blackwood. Jesper Bratt missed. Um, he missed wide of the net. He had an opportunity, but he just went wide. Uh, Drake Batherson came up looking to try to end it there. He took a shot, but it went, but actually was stopped, excuse me, by Mackenzie Blackwood. Um, so then Andreas Johnson, surprisingly, got the third um, opportunity for the Devils and a good save by Forsberg ended the game as the Devils dropped this one three to two in the shootout. And it was just another shootout loss in the many shootout losses that this team has had. And so you look at that game and it's it's unacceptable to me. I know that, you know, Ottawa was on somewhat of a, a hot streak, a little bit two game uh, win streak, getting themselves going a little bit, but still they had six wins going into this game. There was no excuse for this team, for the Devils, to not come out at home and have success and win this game. They were a much better team. And I get that the, the better team doesn't always win, but still, this was just one of those losses that you look at and say, when is this type of BS type of hockey going to stop? Because on all honesty, the Devils should not have even had to go to overtime slash shootout to win this game. And that was the thing that was so unbelievably aggravating about this loss, because it wasn't just losing to the... Ottawa Senators, it was also just the fact that you lost again in the shootout. And that was the thing that was so unbelievably frustrating. Now, speaking of the shootout, I want to send a quick shout out to one of the main um, fan pages uh, on Instagram that is for Devils fans, uh, devils.fan page, probably the biggest one on Instagram. Uh, he put up a post yesterday on Tuesday and he wanted to get give all the fans shootout stats, uh, not only from like this year or the last couple of years, but ever since the shootout was implemented back in 2005, 2006. So I'm going to read this post to you guys because I want you to understand how bad the Devils really have been overall in the shootout in not just the last couple of years, but this whole time since it's been implemented. So. Since the shootout was implemented in the 2005-2006 season, up until the lockout shortened 2013 season, the Devils were one of the best shootout teams during that span. In those first eight seasons of the shootout, the Devils played in 92 shootouts, totaling an impressive record of 56-36, and 36, good for 609 uh, win percentage, which was the third best winning shootout percentage over that time. In the 622 games played by each team over those eight seasons, those 56 double shootout wins actually led the entire NHL. But since the 13-14 season, shootouts for this team have become a major, major struggle. Since the 13-14 season up until this morning, eight seasons and two months, the Devils have played in 75 shootouts with a record of 23-52, which is a .307 win percentage, which, not surprisingly, sits dead last in the NHL over that time, not including the Seattle Kraken. Those 52 shootout losses over that time is the most in the NHL. Overall, since the shootout began in 05-06, the Devils ranked 23rd in the league with an all-time record of 79-88, and which is for 0.473 uh, win percentage in their last 167 shootouts in franchise history. Zach Parise has the most shootout goals in Devils history, scoring 29 times in his 63 attempts as a Devil. And the Devils uh, are one in four now in the shootout. Um, I don't really understand at this point with the amount of different coaches, players, everything like that that we've had, that we continue to be 
arguably the worst team when it comes to shootouts. Like it's, it's, it's so easy for us Devils fans to accept that we're going to lose once it goes to shootout because we know that most likely not only are we not going to win in the shootout, we're probably not even going to score. Now, granted, Tatar did score, so we scored one. But we struggle even just to score in the shootout. And to lose in the shootout, particularly at home, to a Senators team that has not gotten off to a good start this year is an unacceptable type of thing. And I'm very tired of the shootout. I wish it was never implemented because it just... It's so painful to watch this team go through a shootout and constantly not get it done. It, it's very, very much unacceptable. But that loss uh, definitely, like I said, is a loss that you don't, you really, really don't want to see. So with that loss, the Devils dropped to 9-9-5, nine, nine, and five, making it now a four-game losing streak. So then you go into tonight's game. Like I said, I'm recording this. Uh, right after the Devils game against the Flyers. You go into this game on Wednesday against the Flyers, who are coming in after firing um, Elaine Vigneault and have lost nine in a row. This game is arguably one of the most important games in this early season because you're hearing rumblings, not a whole lot, but you're hearing rumblings from some people that Lindy Ruff's seat is getting hotter and hotter by the day because of the lack of consistent scoring and the lack of consistent solid hockey that the Devils have been playing. Now, I understand that Lindy Ruff was brought in as a guy to just oversee the team for the next two or three years to develop, and then we'll get in somebody else. But still, you want to talk about having progress. You want to talk about getting this team in the right direction. You can't allow these type of losses to happen and happen consistently because then you're putting yourself in a position that we've seen in countless other years where the Devils just end up being out of the playoff picture by the time we hit freaking January 1st. So obviously going into this game, it's huge for both teams. It's not just huge for the Devils, but again, the Flyers were looking for their first win for Mike Yao, who's the interim head coach. He's been a head coach before, and they're looking to try to end a nine-game winning uh, losing streak. So clearly both teams are trying to get themselves going here. So... That was obviously the biggest thing going into this game. The second biggest thing is obviously the Devils finally debuted on the ice, their black alternate jerseys. And I've told you guys before that I really wasn't the biggest fan of it. I, I was really upset at first. I toned it down to just being like, well, I don't hate them, but I don't love them either. And then I told you guys that I didn't want to make a final decision on them until I saw them on the ice. And I will say this with pretty good certainty that my feelings towards the jerseys are pretty much the same. Um, you know, with the devils winning tonight and beating the flyers. Um, and I know I'm kind of ruining the point of doing the recap, but uh, obviously you guys already know, but despite even the fact that, yeah, we won a game in an alternate Jersey and it was the black alternate Jersey. It doesn't make me feel any more tempted to want to go get it. I still have said that there was so much potential there. And what the Devils ended up giving us was not exactly what I was hoping for. Um, they look pretty solid. I like the shoes that they um, have promoted with these. Um, I would love it for people to just be able to get them. But you have to obviously, um, I think, make, uh, I think you have to auction for them, which obviously I don't have 
the money anywhere near to auction for those type of things. So obviously that's disappointing, but, um, but at the end of the day, uh, I understand how people could say it's grown on them. It's grown on me a little bit too. I'm not going to lie. It's not the worst thing I've ever seen, but still there, there's a lot of, there was a lot of potential with this Jersey. And again, I just felt like it came up short. Um, but I'm just going to leave it at that. I'm just going to leave it at that. But you go into this game, and obviously it's it's such an important game because the Devils have to find a way to win this game. They have to come out desperate. After the first 20 minutes of play, I felt like offensively the Devils didn't come out like a team that really wanted to win this game. I'm not saying they played bad. I just think this wasn't a team that was showing a lot of urgency. And granted, the Flyers really didn't show a lot of urgency either. It didn't seem like either team early on in this game was going to do anything. Um, and after 20 minutes of play, it was no score. Uh, so that was kind of, you know, where we were, but you go into the second period and five and a half minutes in devils come into the zone. Brad's got the puck. He fired it over to the other side of the ice to Nico Keisha in the ozone. Nico, either he meant to pass it back to Brad or it just happened to do that. The puck got right back to Brad on the other side, and he took a nice wrist shot, top shelf over the glove of Carter Hart, and the Devils were able to take the one nothing lead. And Jesper Brad getting his seventh goal of the year, Nico Gisher getting his 12th assist, and David Severson getting his fourth assist. But most importantly, the Devils grab the lead. And then you go about four minutes later, the Devils are on the power plays, their second or third power play of the game. And the Devils, once again, have the puck in the zone. Dougie Hamilton gives it over to Ty Smith, who then gives it to Brett. Brett back to Ty Smith at the top of the blue line. He takes a wrist shot. It gets deflected by Dawson Mercer into the back of the net. And the Devils, on the power play, score and take a 2-0 lead. And for Mercer, that was his seventh goal of the year. Ty Smith getting his fifth assist of the year. And Jesper Brett, well over 10 assists now. Um gets himself his second point of the game. But again, on the power play, which was absolutely phenomenal. And that's where things stood after two periods of play. So you go into the third feeling pretty good, not entirely great because if you go back to the second period, the Devils had appeared to have scored late in the third, late in the second on a great deflection, kind of with one hand by Pavel Zaka, which made it 3 nothing, but then the Flyers challenged it. It was offsides, and clearly you could see on the replay that Zaka was completely offsides. It was the right time to make that call, and that's where things stood up to two periods. But like I said, you go into the third period knowing that you need at least one more goal to put this one away. You knew that the Flyers were going to try to come out and be as desperate as possible, be ultra-aggressive, aggressive, and really try to get back in this game. And you saw that in the first seven, eight minutes, the Flyers were creating a lot of really good opportunities, but Blackwood and the defense did a really good job of blocking shots, making the saves when they had to, and just really not allowing the Flyers to generate much of anything. And the Devils kind of, they played back, but they didn't, they didn't necessarily play like fullback where the Flyers had like 15, 16 shots and Blackwood just had to stop everything. There was a moment where the puck 
bounced behind Carter Hart, and it stopped right on the red line. And nobody was, and understandably so, nobody was anywhere near the goal because both teams are making changes. The Flyers didn't even know where the puck was, but the Flyers were eventually able to clear it out before anybody could knock that puck in. Otherwise, it would have been 3 nothing, and the game would have been over by that point. Um, but you get to about three, three and a half minutes to go in this game. The Flyers pull their goaltender, they pull Carter Hart, and eventually, with about 25 seconds to go, Jack Hughes gets the puck on a two-on-one with Michael McLeod, gives it to McLeod, goes from his forehand to his backhand, passes the defender and into the back of the net, and the Devils are able to make it three to nothing. And that was all she wrote from this one as the Devils get a bounce back victory. They end the four game losing streak and get their first win in the black alternate jerseys as they take this one by the score of three to nothing. So the Devils getting themselves finally to their 10th win of the season. It's crazy how when we got to nine that it felt like, you know, the Devils were going to get to 10, 11. It's crazy how long it took just to get to the 10th win. But that win definitely was a big one. The Devils moved to 10, 9, and 5. That gets them to 25 points. And again, look, they're still, like, it's still relatively early. It's just their 24th game of the season. Um, I've obviously expressed my frustrations at times, especially in the last episode, about how I feel about where this team is going and everything like that. But at the end of the day, getting a win like this just gives you some relief and you can kind of go from there. Now, the Devils' next game, which I will be attending, is going to be on Friday night at 7.30 against the Nashville Predators, another team that's been struggling a a bunch of late. So, again, another opportunity for the Devils to take advantage of a team that's struggling and try to get a win. And knowing that you then play the very next day against the New York Islanders, who are still looking for their first win at at the UBS Arena – You know that you want to go into that game on a two-game winning streak, having that confidence, getting that swagger back, and taking it into that game. The Islanders were able to get a win, interestingly enough, against the Ottawa Senators in Ottawa, but they got a win. They finally ended that 10-plus game losing streak, so now they have some confidence. But the Devils, all they control... All they can do right now is control what they can control and try to get a win on Friday. But a big victory here tonight, Wednesday, against the Philadelphia Flyers. They will wrap up their season series against the Flyers, I believe, next week. Uh, yes, uh, their next next game against the Flyers will be next Tuesday uh, in Philadelphia. And that will be it. So the Devils have already clinched. Uh, the season series, I believe, against the Philadelphia Flyers. And if they win on Tuesday, they will have actually uh, won all of them. Um, I think I'm reading it correctly. So let's see, February, and then do we do we really only play the Flyers three times? Do we really only play the Flyers? We really, that's, that's so strange. So And we haven't even played Carolina yet. This schedule is very weird. But at the end of the day, a win is a win, especially against the Flyers. They get to their, they get to ten consecutive losses, and uh, you know it's, it's it's a good feeling just to get a win, get a shutout. Mackenzie Blackwood is now eight zero and two in his career against the Philadelphia Flyers, which is absolutely phenomenal. And especially going up against the guy like Carter Hart, who's another candidate potentially to maybe go to the Olympics, uh, represent Team Canada. To get a win over him gives him some confidence. Shows. Uh, Team Canada a little bit, what, what Blackwood can do, and go from there. Now, the other part of this episode that I wanted to share with you guys is this great interview that I had with a man by the name of A.J. Galante. And some of you may know 
this name because he's the former general manager of the Danbury Trashers, and he was one of the big stars of the Netflix documentary called Untold Crime and Penalties. Um, it's actually been out since August. You can go watch it on Netflix. He is a massive, massive New Jersey Devils fan from Connecticut. He, he became a Devils fan because it was the first team he ever saw play live. He's actually collaborated with WWE and also Barstool Sports. And it was great to have Mon talking about the Devils, talking about the Trashers, and just talking about his love for the sport of hockey. So I want you guys to sit back, relax, and enjoy this great interview with the former general manager of the Danbury Trashers and big Devils fan, A.J. Galante. Football fans, I'm sure we all love an action-packed, high-scoring NFL game. But, the, but with the latest no-brainer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, you'll be a winner once a single point score. New customers who bet just $1 on any team to score can win $100 in free bets. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still get in on all the NFL action. Everyone can play for huge cash prices all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN. Bet $1 on any team to score and win $100 in free bets. If they score, you score with promo code THPN. This week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, Devils fans, for the first time in a long time, we have a very special guest joining us here on the Devil's State of Mind podcast. Yes, like I said, it has been a pretty long time since the last time I had an interview but I was reached out by um, somebody about this person and I did a lot of research and I was really excited to have them on because they are a big Devils fan and actually they are very, very well known in the hockey community. This is the former general manager of the Danbury Trashers, which some of you may actually know about the Trashers because they were part of the Netflix documentary called Untold Crime and Penalties. It is with great pleasure to welcome on diehard New Jersey Devils fan, AJ Galante. AJ, welcome to the Devil's State of Mind podcast. First and foremost, how are you doing today, my friend? Doing well. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Of course, we are excited to have you on, and we really do appreciate you taking some time any day to do this. My first question to AJ right off the bat is the simple question of what got you into the sport of hockey? Well, I'll tell you, man, it's, uh, you know, I'm 35 years old now. So at the time, you know, where, where I lived and here in Connecticut, actually, it wasn't a huge hockey hotbed at the time. So, you know, 93, when the first Mighty Ducks movie came out, uh, I remember Always going classic. to see it. And, uh, man, that's really what kind of got me hooked, to be honest with you, was that movie. And um, I don't know what it was about it. Maybe it was the Flying V or whatever it was. But, uh, you know, it, something got me hooked with hockey, and, and that was it. From that, on, from that point on, you know, I, I kind of, in the beginning, self-taught myself on the street, kind of, you know, roller hockey, stuff like that, and, right. you know, move my way up to the ice. So what... What convinced you, other than obviously watching the movie and seeing the sport, what other things convinced you that you wanted to, you know, do as much as you could with the sport of hockey? Oh, well, listen, I mean, um, 
you know, shortly after I got into hockey, shortly after watching the Mighty Ducks and all that, my, my first, my, my dad wasn't a hockey fan growing up. He, um, he, he took me to a Devils game. That was like uh, our first, uh, that was my first game. I, I want to say it was 1994. I want to say it was 94. And uh, I remember it was um, a Devils game. I remember we were playing Pittsburgh. And um, yeah, man, it was uh, something about that. The old continental, old, the old Meadowlands, actually. It wasn't right. even continental. And uh, yeah, it was, it, was un, it was unreal. I mean, that, that, that atmosphere. And I remember just walking in, feeling that cold. And, uh, you know, seeing the devil's mascot and, uh, you know, I just, I just fell in love, fell in love even more with hockey and, and more specifically the devils. I absolutely love that. And, uh, that's, that's back even before it was called the Connelly airlines arena. You're talking about the Brendan Byrne arena way back. Oh yeah. Way back yeah. In the early nineties, way back in the early nineties. And that's, uh, you were right. You know, you got into it and luckily you became a devil's fan right as the team began their dominance uh winning three stanley cups and being one of the more consistent playoff teams uh in the nhl over that 20 plus year period that they were they were in so that's very fascinating now i guess my next question which i feel like you kind of answered it but i would still like to get your your answer about this what made it about the devils necessarily that you became a fan of them because you live you grew up in connecticut and everything like that and obviously you do have or at least at one time you had the hartford whalers that left in the early i want to say i think it was like the mid 90s or early 90s and then you obviously have the rangers and the Islanders. but what was it about the devils that made you want to become a fan of this team well, I think, you know, listen, I mean, first of all, it was my first game. So, you know, you never forget your first. So I remember, you know, thankfully my first game wasn't a Rangers game or else I'd be <laughs> stuck with those guys, you know? So, you know, uh, it, it, you know, I don't know, you know, where we are in Connecticut, it's so close to the New York border. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we, we always, you know, most of the people that live in my area, we cheer for like New York Metro area teams because that's right. the TV we get. And, um, but no, nah, man, I mean, like you said, I mean, I remember the first year I really got into the Devils is when we lost to the Rangers in the Eastern Conference Finals. And um, I remember crying myself to sleep because of Stefan Mateau and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I just I just love the team. I mean, Scott Stevens was like a god to me, you know, growing up, um, you know, he was he was like a hero of mine. And that's all right. I, I try to emulate the way he played. And um you know, just I could go on and on about some of the early players. I mean, I remember uh, Stefan Richet, number 44, was like mm -hmm. a big sniper at the time. And, um, you know, you had Kenny Danico, obviously, Randy McKay, Mike Peluso. I mean, I could go on and on. Bobby Holik. I mean, um, I just remember just just Martin Brodeur. I mean, we're forgetting the goalie, right? Of course. So, um, you know, uh, I mean, these guys were, were huge influences in my yeah. life for sure. I can definitely uh, agree with that. You know, obviously I didn't, I didn't have the pleasure of watching those guys play in their primes, but guys like Marty Berger definitely got me hooked with the devils and, and made me a huge devils fan. So my next question to you, AJ is this, uh, a lot of people recognize you and recognize the name from the Netflix series documentary untold crime penalties with the Danbury trashers. Give us the background. Give us the story of how that all came about, because I think it's something that a lot of people would like to know. Well, geez, I mean, like I said, it was uh, how the team started. It was super random. You know what I mean? I, I remember I was still a I was still a senior in high school and um, I just 
I, I'd suffered a knee injury my senior year of hockey, you know, mm. senior year of high school playing hockey. And um, my career was basically over. Mm. And, um, you know, kind of early 2004, I remember maybe February or March, my dad kind of nonchalantly said like, hey, listen, I'm going to start a um, a minor league pro hockey team, you know, out of Danbury and, you know, you'll run it for me, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, the legend goes, I mean, I, I agreed to it. I thought he was joking around, you know, so I was kind of joking around back. And then when I realized it was for real, you know, you talk about, uh, you know, getting stuck right in the deep end there. And uh, that's really how it went. I mean, um, you know, for those who didn't watch the documentary, I mean, definitely check it out. It's a why it's crazy. As I get older, the story gets crazy, you know, right. it gets crazier, the story. And um, yeah, that was it. We just um, we just went to work. Now, if I'm not mistaken, you first got word about the potential of doing the documentary series back in 2018. Am I correct on that? Yeah, that's correct. So take us through just how Netflix came about to reach out to you and say, hey, we want to we want to do something with this. Yeah, I mean, it was almost I want to say it was almost three years to the day. It was a little after wow. Thanksgiving in 2018. And, um, you know, I got approached by um a producer who produced this untold series, the five sports docs that came out in the summer for Netflix. And, um, you know, they told me, Hey, we're interested in doing the story of the trashers. And, you know, to be honest with you, I, I thought he was playing around or, you know, once again, I, I didn't think it was that serious. And, um, you know, time went on and it, it became evident that it was a serious thing. Right. And, um, you know, me and my dad discussed it and ultimately we decided to go forward with the project with them. And I think it was the summer of 2019 is basically when they started shooting. You know, they came down here to, to Danbury mm. and, you know, did a lot of interviews, a lot of content stuff down here. And, um, you know, COVID obviously pushed back the, the release date, obviously. But, um, right. you know, came out this past uh, August. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's it's, it's definitely something that a lot of hockey fans had the opportunity to see and was was definitely a really, really cool thing because, you know, there's a lot of documentaries out there, you know, for hockey that focus around, you know, NHL teams. Uh, there's obviously been movies, like you mentioned, the Mighty Ducks that surround teams that are quote unquote, make believe, so to speak, but it eventually did become a real team and things like that. But what I love about this documentary, what I love about the, the point of it is that it focuses around a, a small team in a small area, and it really kind of focuses on that. Um, when you look back at this documentary and you, and you saw it, what are your feelings about it? Do you feel that there was a message that, was, that, was, um, that got across to a lot of people? Like, what are your overall feelings about the entire documentary? I thought it was, uh, I listen, first and foremost, I never thought in a million years it would take off the way it has. I mean, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's so incredible how many people have actually watched this and continue to, you know, 12, 13 weeks later. And, right. uh, you know, yeah, I thought the documentary was great. I mean, I, I'm a pretty harsh critic. I didn't know what to expect when it, you know, was released, but um, I was, I, I couldn't get over how well done it was. I thought it was very balanced, um, you know, and I've talked to, I, I mean, countless amount of people about it. And, and so many people take so many things away from it, right. different lessons, different things, you know, um, it, it's crazy. There's so many layers to the story that um, people, you know, it's what they take from it. it it's, it's really amazing how many different variations and, and different, you know, a different variety of views people have had from it.
I think that's the mark of having a good documentary when a lot of different people have different perspectives on it and can take different things from it. And it, it's definitely been it, it's definitely been phenomenal. And, and I really enjoyed it myself. I just recently watched it and I really enjoyed it. Um, and it was absolutely phenomenal. Now, I also uh, found out that you've been doing a lot of work with WWE as well as doing some stuff with uh, Barstool Sports. Could you talk to us a little bit more about both of those things and, and what exactly you've uh, been doing with them? Yeah, I mean, very, very early on from the release date, you know, uh, Spitting Chicklets, the guys over there, uh, you know. It, Gotta love those boys. Yeah, they they, they kind of, it kind of was right up their alley, the documentary. So I, I kind of knew we were on a collision course to eventually talk. And, you know, they, 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 um, they've been so supportive of the doc. And, you know, we, we actually, with, with them and Barstool, did a collaboration, you know, with some merchandise and stuff right. that's still on sale, which is, it's super cool to see. And um, same thing with WWE. I mean, I, I mean, wrestling was my first love even before hockey. So, mm -hmm. you know, just to be able to do some collaborations with them, with merch and stuff like that, it's a, you know, it's a dream come true and, and just so surreal to me, you know? I can, I can totally understand that. Now, here's a question that I've always wanted to ask, especially people who are fans of not only WWE, but also fans of hockey. What is it about both of these sports? And in, in some capacities, they're very, very different, but in other capacities, they're very similar. What is it about these two types of sports that get people, that, that it just connects very well with both sides of it and why people love both of them so much? You know, that's a great question. I don't know if I've ever really thought about that. I think um, I've, always been, I've always been attracted to like the aggression of things, you know, mm -hmm. sports or... Uh, you know, and, and to me, back in those days, in the mid '90s, you know, hockey was extremely physical. You know, right. between fighting and you know, just the way guys were hitting each other and stuff. And uh, you know, wrestling, the same thing. You know, wrestling, you know, it's theater, but at the same time, it's so aggressive and it's so, um, it's such a physical sport, whether people want to admit it or not. And uh, I don't know. I, I guess for me, it's just the physicality of it, and um, you know, people don't understand the type of athletes hockey players are. Mm. Um, I played every sport growing up, basically every sport. And um, hockey to me is, I mean, the athleticism for hockey is just far and above some of the other ones. Um, right. Not taking away from other sports, but hockey is just on another level, in my opinion. Mm. And uh, I think the same, you know, people may laugh at it, but I think it's the same for wrestlers. I mean, you see some of the things these guys and girls do, you know, you could sit there and say whatever you want about it, but I don't right. see a lot of people lining up to try it. You know what I mean? So, uh, you know, it's one of those things where, um, but that's a great question. I don't know why people tend to kind of be attracted to both, but that, that's a great question. I think you nailed it on the head, though, when you talked about the physicality, because like, like you said, whatever people say about WWE, and, and obviously speaking for myself, I'm not the biggest WWE fan myself, but I've always realized that, especially in Devils community, there are a lot of people that are diehard Devils fans, but also are massive, massive like WWE fans. And yeah. the Devils in years past have really had a good connection with WWE because of, you know, they've had events at the Prudential Center. And also there are guys that have come through that, you know, support hockey and really like hockey. And I think you brought it, I think bring up the physicality is the, is the best part. And, and I think also when you talk about, you know, these guys being athletes, I mean, you look at some of the greatest WWE wrestlers of all time, you know, even guys like the undertaker, John Cena, uh, you know, Rey Mysterio, 
uh, Batista. Those guys are in incredible shape. I mean, Dwayne The Rock Johnson is probably the biggest example of just the fact that he is like an absolute unit. But like you look at the stuff that he had to do back in the day and even the stuff that they do now, I actually would argue that in WWE, it's a little bit, you have to be even more athletic than you might have had to been 20 years ago, just from the whole entertainment part of it. And I think also, and I don't know if you would agree with this, AJ, at the end of the day, it's just entertainment. Whether you're going to a hockey game, a wrestling match, whatever, it's entertainment. We're there, people are spending money to go and be entertained. I mean, and that's really what it is. And I can understand it. Now, my next question to you, AJ, is this. What are, who are some of the big enforcers? It could be devils. It could be, you know, other players in the league, but for you growing up, who are some of the big enforcers that you were like fans of, you know, guys that really like to rough it up and granted, it's not the same as it was 20 years ago, but you know, what, you know, name me some of those guys and, and why you like them so much. You know, I, I get asked that a few times and, and a lot of people expect me to say some of the big heavyweights and stuff like that, but I was always, um, I was always driven more to like the smaller guys, like Ty Domi. Um, I remember Ty Domi. I remember um, Wendell Clark from Toronto. Um, You know, just, you know, even guys like Matthew Barnaby, guys who were disturbers, you know, and, and, you know, weren't afraid to to throw them, Rob Ray, guys like that. But I remember, you know, the Devils, you know, it's funny, growing up, other than Christoph Oliwa, I don't really remember the Devils having like that one mainstay enforcer. They always were a team tough. Right. You know, they always had like team toughness. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that, you know, Scott Stevens, Ken Danico, you know, you had the crash line in the 90s. Right. Um, you know, they weren't like, and that's, you know, what drew me to the Devils too is um, they didn't just have one guy who was that quote unquote enforcer, in my opinion. Um, yeah. They just had a bunch of guys that were willing to, you know, play blue collar if needed and um yeah you know uh, but yeah definitely like kind of the smaller guys you know even in more you know in the early 2000s i remember i think he played for us too aaron asham i used to like aaron asham, yeah, aaron asham did play for the devils um for a couple of years or i think yeah, a year or so, you know you know you know those middleweight guys those were the guys you know underdogs i always underdogs. For, for, for for the smaller guys really I like the I like the Ty Domi uh, that you mentioned Ty Domi because I, I I a lot of Devils fans used to like despise Ty Domi like even my dad said that like he was like the most hated guy like he hated him so much and like even when we've seen his son Max play in the league now my dad will still be like yeah I, I don't like his son either and it's like but his son is not Ty it's a, it doesn't matter it's still Ty Domi's son and they're like I, I guess and you know having the opportunity to speak to Ken Danico once or twice, he's talked about his quote unquote relationship with Ty Domi and their battles back in the day. But I like that you brought up that the devils really, and I do agree with it, that they've never really had like a, a big time enforcer, a guy who only was out there to like fight and protect players. They yeah. always had a collective group of guys that were just physical. And you mentioned the crash line. That's the number one uh, line right there when it comes to physicality. The only two guys I would ever say that that were close, but they still contributed offensively were guys like Mike Peluso and yeah. um, and um, Bobby Holik. I mean, Bobby Holik yeah. is probably the closest, but still Holik could score like, you know, 10, 11 goals a season and still contribute on a, yeah. on a bottom six role. So I can definitely see that. Um, but my next question to you, AJ, is this. 
other than obviously seeing the Devils for the first time, that being your first hockey game, give us one or two of your best memories of being a Devils fan. Oh God! I know, that's, that, I know that's, this is a tough question. So whenever I ask people yeah, this, that's so there's so many. I would say. Oh, God. I remember once going to a game. I don't remember exactly when. I want to say it was in the late 90s. And mm -hmm. um, I went with my mother, my father, my aunt. I remember my aunt. I don't know how. She caught three pucks during the game. Um, you know, usually th those were back in the days before they had the netting around the, the glass and right. stuff. So, you know, people were just getting taken out by <laughs> loose pucks and stuff like that. I remember... I don't know why I remember that game, her being able to catch three pucks or they just fell right on top of her. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, listen, I, you know, I was in attendance, you know, game seven of the 03 finals against Anaheim. Uh, you know, um, that was an incredible experience to, you know, see the cup live. Um, that was probably my number one. Um, mm -hmm. But my dad was a season ticket holder in the late 90s and we used to go skate with the Devils, you know, once oh, a cool. year. And uh, it was cool to be able to meet the guys. And, and you know, hockey players are so humble. And, and you know, the devil, you know, meeting guys, you know, on the ice at the right. Meadowlands back then, uh, it, it was, uh, those are some of the best memories, you know, skating on the ice, you know, and, uh, you know, just trying to envision, you know, a packed house and trying to see what the guys see, you know? Right. Yeah, I, I know exactly how you feel. I mean, I, I've, I've never been fortunate enough to skate even on the Prudential Center ice or let alone... Um, you know, the old Continental Airlines arena, but I, I'm sure that that was an incredible feeling, especially skating uh, with guys that you watch on a day-to-day -day basis. Now, when you look at the devils of nowadays, and certainly things have changed a lot, this is a incredibly young team, the youngest team in the National Hockey League. What are your overall thoughts? Because obviously right now at the time of this recording, the Devils have been struggling of late. Uh, things are not going the way that we've been hoping for, but there's still a huge amount of talent um, on this team and there still is um, a bright future ahead uh, if everything can go into place. What are your overall thoughts of the Devils uh, nowadays? Well, I think you hit it on the head. <clears throat> I think we're just a young team. I think the, the future is super bright. I mean, what does that do for us this year? I think you just got to be realistic a little bit. You know, is this team going to win a Stanley Cup? Nah, you know, anything can happen. But I think, you know, one of the things having a GM background, I guess, is, you know, you can't just think for the present. You think for the future, too. Right. I right. mean, um, you know, you, I think the future is so bright. I think, um, you know, locking up Jack Hughes was smart. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I know some people were complaining about the, the the numbers, but you know, if he puts up a couple of good seasons, those numbers could double, right? right so, of course, um, you know, and, and listen, my favorite guy in the team right now is Miles Wood. Um, I know he's hurt. The I mean, one that's, guy that's not playing right now. <laughs> that, that's my type of player. That would have been a trasher, and uh, you know, someone like that. You know, I'm not saying all of a sudden you're going to start running the table, but you know, when guys start coming back, if they come back, you know, they start gelling. But, um, you know, listen, you just got to be patient. I know it's tough. I remember when I was a young fan, I, I just uh, would get so frustrated if we lose or this and that. But, of course, you know what? It, one thing about the Devils, you know, going back to Lou Lamorello, even, I mean, they always have a plan. So, right. you know, sometimes what fans don't understand is those plans. It's not just for, you know, you, you, you got to worry about today, but also tomorrow. So, right. you know, we'll see what happens. But, um, you know what? There's still some time. Um, you know what? The, the, it's not like 
in a way they're rebuilding, but they're not because they're competitive. And, uh, you know, I just think they're just, they're going to find their way. And um, I just think, you know, within three years, the the team's going to look drastically different in terms of just, you know, where they are in the standings. Well, I really needed to hear that considering how things have gone of late. Uh, I needed to hear some of that um, pump talk, you know, uh, positivity because it's it's been difficult of late but you obviously you know being a former general manager what are your overall thoughts of Tom Fitzgerald since he took over because this is only his second technically this is his first full season because it's 82 games but this is technically his second season as the general manager of this Devils team how do you feel he has shaped this team in his image like what 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 are your thoughts about him well I'll be I'll be honest with you no matter what team or who the GM is, I think when you bring in a new GM, you have to, as a fan, understand, well, it's not, it doesn't always go this way, but in my mind, if you're an owner and you're bringing in or you name a new GM, you have mm-hmm. to say to yourself, that's our GM for the minimum of five years. Um, you have to let a, a, a GM, like I said, you know, there's so many moving parts. You got to think about, today, tomorrow, and a week from now, you know? So, you know, it's one of those things where you got to let a a GM or or anyone that's in charge of personnel decisions, you know, you can't be like my New York Knicks and change every other day. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like you gotta, you gotta, you know, if you have confidence enough to name, you know, if you name me the GM tomorrow, you gotta, you gotta give me at least five years. Now Mm -hmm. that's an eternity for a fan. But the reality is a lot of the moving and the shaking in hockey, it takes a few years. You know, you get prospects that go to the AHL. It takes time. Yeah. Um, you got to give it a yeah. little time to, to, to let it, to let it rock a little bit. And, mm-hmm. you know, I don't really judge um, executives in any sport mm-hmm. until about three and a half years. At that point, you can kind of see where it's going to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it, it's a tough job because fans want to win today. That's all that matters. And um, especially being in the New York, New Jersey area where we're constantly expecting winning every day. Of course. And, and again, that also comes with the territory. You got to know what team you're taking over. You yeah. know, listen, if you go to Winnipeg, you know, you probably got a little time. You know what I mean? I mean, who cares, right? But right. when you're in this area here, you got to understand if you take that job, you got to put a little more emphasis on today as well. You know, and, and, you know, when you, and that's the other thing, you know, New York, Philly, Chicago, LA, um, you know, and, and in hockey, like a Toronto, Montreal, when you take a job in those territories, it, it yeah. kind of, it has to alter your decision-making because you can't just think about tomorrow as well. Because right. the fans turn real quick. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a very good, way of putting it. Um, I think with Tom Fitzgerald, I think most of the Devils fan base uh, really likes what he's done. And again, it's just his second year with the, you know, building this team and doing what he wants to do with it. And uh, I think that when you look at the expectations, I mean, everybody's expectations have been different. I've spoken to so many people who have had different opinions of where they feel this team is, where they feel this team is going and things like that. And they think it's like you mentioned, just giving a general manager you know, five years to, to really try to build something. And if not, and if it's really not working, then you got to move forward. And I think that's what the devils did when they had Ray Shiro 
they gave him four or five years to kind of turn it around. It didn't work out. And so they had to, you know, yeah. make a change and they had to make a change. And now they're giving Fitzgerald an opportunity to do what he needs to do and build a team in his image and see how far he can take it, which is really, really good. Now, my last question to you, AJ, is this, and again, thank you so much for doing this today. We really do appreciate it. For anybody, for any young person out there who wants to get involved in hockey, whether it is as a player or to become a coach or to become a general manager or anything like that, what is the biggest piece of advice you can give them? I would say you have to, with anything, not just hockey, if, if you're hell bent on getting involved with something, you have to make a conscious effort to switch into your brain that this is your life now. Mm -hmm. And this has to be a lifestyle. Um, you have to take in, you know, listen to people, take in as much info as you can. And I think the most important thing is don't be afraid to fail because failure is really what's going to build you up. Right. Um, you know, I'm in the boxing industry now and, and I learn more from a boxer after a loss than a win because everything, you know, when you win, of course, everything's great. But right. when you face adversity, when you lose, how are you going to, how are you going to respond to that? So I think that goes to all walks of life is don't be afraid to take a risk. If you, if you fall on your face, you, you, you there's always a lesson and it's yeah. something you could take with you going forward. So I know it sounds crazy. People ask me all the time, what advice do you give? I say fail because mm -hmm. failing is inevitable. Um, not failing, but taking losses is inevitable. You know, I mm -hmm. make decisions, they don't work. Um, well, you know, how you craft it from there is, uh, you know, someone once told me the, the only difference between building blocks and stumbling blocks is how you use them. Mm. So you use these use these failures or losses or L's as a way to build yourself up and learn from it. I absolutely love that. AJ, before I let you go, because I do this with all my guests, let the folks at, at home know where they can follow you, where they can check up on anything, and also just anything you're working on right now. So the floor is yours, my friend. No, thank you. Again, thank you for having me, you know, fellow devil's guy. That that's that means a lot. So uh no, I mean, you know, you can follow um we actually, you know, the trashers, we have an Instagram. We're at DB Trashers, um, at DB Trashers on Twitter as well. We're mm -hmm. we're always constantly putting up some stuff of the past, stuff we're doing. Um, you know, it's become a movement all of a sudden, this trashers movement. And uh, you know, a lot of current players are loving it. We have new merchandise coming out and um, you know. Hopefully I'll be able to get to the, the rock sooner than later. I haven't been to a game this year and uh, definitely looking forward to, you know, coming soon. Awesome, man. Well, AJ, thank you so much for taking some time out of your day to do this, man. We really appreciate it. And we'll definitely have you back on again, but, but thank you so much for doing this. 100% bro. I appreciate you.